0: Harry Potter is getting a remake at HBO Max for Warner Brothers. Let's talk about all the pros and cons about this news. Hello, Muggles. Welcome back to Raiders of the Lost Podcast, the ultimate film and TV podcast. HBO Max has just announced that they're going to be remaking the Harry Potter franchise for television. And every book is going to get one season of TV on HBO Max. This is from Warner Brothers, obviously. And when I first heard the news, I was... I was an angry I old was, man. I was yeah. <laughs> I was like grumpy, but it's I'm warming up to it. And because me and Anthony were talking about it in depth, and th- that's the whole point why we're doing this episode is because, you know, Harry Potter is so near and dear to our hearts. It's our favorite franchise, basically. And we we love those movies and they're so well made and so well cast that like, how could you ever capture that magic again? I mean if you try to cast someone as Harry Potter, it's not really going to be Harry Potter because Daniel Radcliffe is Harry Potter forever. All those actors and actresses did such terrific jobs in those roles. So the casting thing is going to be a hurdle they'll have to overcome. But there are so many pros where they can, att- they can uh, address so many things in the books that aren't in the movies as well as do things better in the show that are in the movies and books that they didn't do terrific in the films. Yeah, when I first saw the news, I was like, God damn it. I was Michael Scott. No, no, no. 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 I was Oliver. I was like, nope, nope, <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> but I think then I came to the realization that, you know, this is this was inevitable. It's a famous IP. It's Warner Brothers might there might be their most popular, their most valuable IP behind DC Comics. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense that they're going to redo it. Even the other actors in the past, even the actors in the past have talked about, you know, if it gets made again, uh, I'd like to play this person instead. Like I remember seeing a Radcliffe interview where he said he'd like to play Severus Snape when he gets older. So I warmed up to the idea that, you know, it's never going to get remade. And then in another 20 years to get remade again. And then in 20 years from now less than that it's gonna, yeah, it's only been later. it's only been 11 years 12 years because 2012 Hall, 2011 2011 okay. deathly hollows part two was 2011 so it's mm-hmm. only been 12 years that they're already remaking i think that's the one thing for me that it's too soon it feels like but also like you said it's inevitable we can't control this we just have to sit back and take it on the chin studios <laughs> are gonna studio but, you know, I think we're going to try to find the silver lining here. And that's what this episode is going to be about, is talking about the pros and cons. And there are a lot of pros to the show, as well as some cons. Now, famously, I mean, obviously, a two and a half hour movie or a two hour movie can't fit a 700 page book into its plot. Most notably, when J.K.'s books got to be very dense, starting with really with uh, Goblet, Order half blood and deathly hollows very long books no uh order is the longest book i think it's like 850 something like that almost a thousand pages so (laughs) not almost a thousand it's almost a thousand 850 is (laughs) almost (laughs) a thousand is eight almost (laughs) ten yeah i mean it's the way you look at it bonehead (laughs) (laughs) eight is almost like 950 is almost. okay let's not (laughs) jesus christ anyways it's impossible to fit all that story into one movie, so it does make sense that there could be a lot of benefits to making a series about this where you can have 8 to even 12 episodes per book, and you can really tackle a lot of things that the books couldn't fit in, and I do think that there are a lot of things that the movies kind of drop the ball on. So we can get into both of those things and really talk about, start with the pros, obviously, I'm not happy about it being made again, but I'll accept it, and I'll try to enjoy it the best I can. So, But I do think that what they can't ever do is cast—I don't think they can cast better. Obviously, not all the actors are age-appropriate, appropriate, especially the professors. Most of them should be in their 30s and 40s, but some of them are very old when they started the roles. And I think um, Sever, Severus Snape—obviously, Alan Rickman was much older than his character he was playing, but he still fit the role perfectly, so— I doubt that they'll ever be able to cast any of the characters better than they already did. So I think that's the biggest challenge that the production is going to face is how do you cast not just the main trio, not just Dumbledore, but all of the characters. I mean, even going to Trelawney, going to Neville, all these Bellatrix. Like, how are you going to find an actor for each of these roles that can do better? Um, Brendan Gleeson is Mad-Eye Moody. Like, they were all... I think the strength of the, of the films is most more than anything else, was the strength of the casting and how every character was really perfectly cast. I think that the production has a couple strengths going for them. Obviously, they've done it before, not necessarily the same team, but Warner Brothers has been down the path of making the Harry Potter movies, so they actually have some experience, obviously, if they're going to make longer form content out of what they've done with those films. Also, from a production standpoint, they have a lot of the sets that they can reuse. The castles are still there. I'm sure they've saved Tons of wardrobe, tons of props, wands, robes, everything you can imagine. I'm sure they'll remake a lot of it, but I guarantee they have thousands and thousands of items that they can reuse from the films into the TV show. So they're probably going to save a little money versus like making a seven-season show of something that's never been done before. As well as I think it, it'll be really important. I'm curious to see if David Heyman gets involved at all. I don't think there's been any, any reports of it at all yet because he was the main producer of... On the Harry Potter films, he's kind of the unspoken hero that is kind of behind the scenes that he's just as important to the entire franchise as, obviously, the directors and writers, screenwriters, and obviously J.K. R- Rowling coming up with the stories and books. He's so integral to the films getting made and how good they are. Is he going to be involved in the show? You could call him like the Kevin Feige of the Harry Potter universe. I'm, I'm not sure if he has any ownership rights or what exactly exactly his licensee contract was, but as a producer, he purchased the rights for Harry Potter for Warner Brothers and so they're all heyday productions. That's his company's name. So that's a good point. I wonder if he will be involved. My guess is if I'm running Warner Brothers get David Heyman as the showrunner for the sh- for the series, if he wants to do it because he did a phenomenal job adapting this incredibly dense and complicated story for the screen. Now, I was thinking, do you want to get into things that were missing from the films or things that could have been done better first? I'd say missing sounds more fun. There's – which wouldn't – well, I, that has a lot more. How about we just do things that could have been done better just to warm okay, up okay. to the stuff that's a little missing? little appetizer? Yeah, a little appetizer. So <laughs> let's talk about all the things that could have been – that can be done better in the show versus the movie. So these are things that are in the, both the books and movies yeah. but we think can get done better in the show. Starting off, I think most importantly, the number one thing that they could do better, Voldemort's backstory, getting all the horcruxes as well as all the flashbacks and memories of Voldemort, of Tom Riddle in his youth, into adolescence, into adulthood, until he becomes Voldemort, until he's just disappeared for so long, coming back to Hogwarts, but also working at Borgin and Burks, and then traveling around and trying to get every horcrux he can. Just more backstory on Tom Riddle, and Voldemort. I think that's such an integral thing they have to nail. It doesn't come until later in the series. Obviously, it would be season six. But still, I (laughs) think that's something that they have to hit hit the nail on the head, and they can do a lot better in the movies because it's very rushed in the films and something that always leaves me a little disappointed. But I understand they have to get through the movie fast. Yeah, I mean, Half-Blood Prince already is a long film, and they only showed the flashback of him as a child with Dumbledore, uh, which is... And when he's in Hogwarts. Yeah, yeah, in Hogwarts. Hogwarts. So... With Slughorn.
1: The oh, Slug yes, Club. I'm sorry, I'm
0: sorry, I'm sorry, as a, as a teen, yeah. So they really did show the plot important memories, like really important to Harry's story and Half-Blood Prince of what exactly he's doing. Um, but there was so much missing from the film because I find that Tom Riddle's, Tom Riddle's character and Voldemort's character in the movies, it was never fully realized, I would say, in its potential. And its creation by Rowling is, I think, one of the greatest antagonists ever put in a story. And the films kind of were an underwhelming representation of Voldemort. And so there, I think there's definitely so much more they can do with that character, given the screen time. Even the stuff like with the Gaunts and Tom Riddle Sr., Marvolo Grant, Gaunt yeah. and his mother, and yeah. explaining about the, po- the love potion that her mother had Tom Riddle Sr. under, which made him fall in love with her until she stopped giving it to him. And obviously explaining, you know, why Voldemort can never experience love is obviously because his mother hypnotize basically her his father under a love potion so he's born without love yeah so it's it's really deep emotional connection that really informs the character of voldemort and why he's so evil and why he can never love and that's why he'll never be able to defeat harry potter whose greatest weapon is love it's he's a wonderfully complex character and they never really did him justice that's my biggest problem with the films was the the Voldemort he was never fully realized. Rafe is so good he's as amazing, Voldemort that yeah. it hides all that. Exactly. It makes up for it. That's true. he's so good. All right. Next up, something they can do better is Quidditch for sure. There is a lot of Quidditch in the books that is not shown in the films. Also, the Quidditch World Cup was a major event in goblet of Fire's book. I would say Chamber of Secrets, um, especially the rivalry rivalry with Slytherin and Gryffindor was something that I was—I felt was really missing from Chamber of Secrets, and then, then th- there's a lot more Quidditch in Azkaban as well. Yeah, we only got that one short Quidditch match in Azkaban, where the Dementors come after Harry in the rainstorm, and he falls. Harry, Mo- arresto momentum! <laughs> 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 Sorry, it's about to get dorky as hell in here. <laughs> so oh, it already I would, is. <laughs> and even the the Quidditch and Sorcerer Stone and Chamber, th- those are the movies we probably get the most of it. And I would say it looks great for the time, but I think they can do a lot better today with technology, not only with the CGI today, but using the volume I think will be very beneficial to sequences like Quidditch matches for them. It'll really help with uh, the story and keeping... If you have an episode that isn't really heavy on action, mostly backstory or investigation with the kids, you could have a great 10-minute Quidditch match that will bring in a lot of energy to to a scene to a, an episode also half blood prince has a lot of quidditch we'll get into that and what's from missing um, category most notably with ron but the quidditch world cup also in goblet of fire was a was a much longer event than is shown in the film we just get literally 30 seconds of it there's a lot in goblet of fire that's missing as well yeah, and also the fandom of yeah. of the quidditch players and Also, he uh, what's the house elf's name um which one winky winky, oh, winky Yeah, yeah she's completely yeah. cut from the films Yeah. Another thing they can do better in the show versus the movies, as well as is heavily missing in a lot of the series, is the invisibility cloak. We really only get to hang out the invisibility cloak here and there. It's in the first one probably the most, but then after that, it just crops up once in a while. Harry and the trio, they use the invisibility cloak quite often in the books. And it's just one of the funnest things about the series and about the gang when they're getting up to mischief and they're hiding under the invisibility cloak going on these little missions in the middle of the night. I think they can take advantage of using the invisibility cloak a lot more often in the show. Yeah, I think it's definitely one of the strengths of Sorcerer's Stone, in that effect still holds up to this day. It's one of those visual effects that still look perfect. It's simple to do! Yeah. You don't even need any crazy technology! Yeah, absolutely. So definitely more invisibility cloak stuff. <clears throat> also, something they can do better is Lily and Snape friendship when they were kids during flashbacks. Also, Snape, uh, learning that we learned that his father was a muggle. And was and Je- Petunia was very jealous of Lily. This is actually something I put in the list for missing, but, but um, I just meant well because yeah. their relationship. We see their friendship, yeah. but I think they could do a better job. But I just oh for it sure, there. yeah, 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 yeah. So it's they're there, but I they think can they do can better. do better. They can do better because there's a lot going on. Yeah, a lot more exposition. So much exposition. But um, staying on the invisibility cloak for a second, something that I hope m- they maintain for the show is using as much practical effects as possible i think that's what brings so much magic especially to the first couple films of harry potter is the practical magic i hope they try to use as much practical as possible when they can obviously it's a tv show they have a lot to film and a lot to shoot lots of scenes i'm sure if they're going to do eight to what 12 episodes per season they haven't announced that yet but i think if they can maintain as much practical effects as possible it'll really make this special i would say deathly hallows too much CGI. Especially sure. Battle of Hogwarts. Way too much CGI. I mean, CGI. how else are you going to do it? I know. Yeah, true. But it still, it's too much for my taste. That's how I, I would say they... Um, What's his name? The director. The, uh, <laughs> <laughs> What is his name? <laughs> oh, it's going to come to me. David Yates. David Yates. He definitely likes to rely on CGI. Because even with Order, his first film, uh, in Half-Blood, he, he likes to rely on CGI too often, I think. All right. Something else that they can do better in the show. Dumbledore's death now this is always another scene that I still love and I love the movie so much Half-Blood Prince's top two for me and the death of Dumbledore happens pretty differently in the book because Harry Dumbledore Petrificus Totalis is Harry underneath the floor underneath the invisibility cloak so he can't move so it's kind of out of character for Harry not to fight back and help defend Dumbledore in the movie because that's what Harry would do. You couldn't stop Harry from fighting back and helping to protect Dumbledore. That's why Dumbledore has to petrificus totalis him and put the invisibility cloak on him because he knows Harry would come and help try to defend him and come to his aid. So that's something that I think could be done better in the show in the show, as well as snaping underneath the floorboards. But other than that, they did a great job, but maybe a little more. Emphasis on the disarming by Draco of Dumbledore as well. But I think just the fact, I think that's a big character moment for Harry Potter that's wrong in the movies that he's just hi- hes just hiding out there because Dumbledore told him to. Harry would not hide. It's a change that I found made no sense at all because it's not like they were saving time. It's not like they couldn't fit it in. It would have taken the exact amount of story time as Dumbledore telling him to go under. He could have just been Petrificus Totalis, and then when Garden Leviosa, the invisibility cloak over him. 10 seconds tops so it didn't make any sense for me to have harry stay up um but i think they just I don't know. Maybe they. It, they I just I found it easier to shoot. It's easier to shoot, but also it brings false trust to Harry with Snape mm-hmm. because Harry's trusting Snape and he sees Snape. He's like, "Oh, don't move. I got this. Don't worry." But then Snape kills Dumbledore. But Harry would go up there and attack Snape. Yeah, that's, that's great because Harry will die trying to save the people he loves. Exactly. So it makes yeah. it, it. Dumbledore knew that, and that's why he Petrificus Totalis Totalis did Petrificus him. Totalist Totalist him. Uh. So I mean. When I saw that film, there's a lot missing and a lot that can be changed in the third act of that film, of that story. Oh, yeah, tons. So much. But still a great. Find a location near you at Bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and A, Member FDSC. Fucking movie. Yeah. But also, so another big improvement that they can make is in Goblet of Fire, the maze and the TriWizard tournament. In the film, it's just a maze that can come to life and grab them, but in the in the books, there's a lots of trials and, and things they encounter along the maze. Most notably, my favorite part was the Sphinx and its riddle um, that they just didn't even throw into the film at all. In the film, I found the maze very disappointing. Yeah, it's just got tentacles and vines, and then Victor Crumb's in there and ferrying people. I mean, uh, imperio imperio Imperioing people because he's under the Imperio as well, or he's just attacking people. Um, So it was underwhelming because... When they get in the maze, I'm like, let's go. Yeah. The first time I saw it, I remember, movie. yeah. It was yeah. still cool, still exciting, but yeah. it could be done a lot better. I was like, okay, the Sphinx is coming now. Okay, well, now they'll do the Sphinx. Oh, uh, no, 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 now the Sphinx. <laughs> and it just never happened. They, the trophy's already there. Like, well, yeah. this is a really easy, really easy maze. <laughs> yeah, it was just like, I've done mazes like just this. Just avoid Victor Crumb. <laughs> Something else that can be done a little better. The CGI in the first film, we've always talked about and everyone knows, it's not superb. Because it was pretty rushed, it got better in the second film. I think Dobby's CGI on the second film was really groundbreaking at the time. Basilisk was great yeah. too. well, yeah. a lot of the basilisk was also yeah. practical effects. So I hope they do a lot of practical effects as well. But I'm sure they'll they're gonna probably do as much CGI as they can afford. I'm sure. And I hope that the CGI they stay true to how high quality it is today. Obviously, it's a TV series. You have a limited budget. It's not like you're making a movie and you have a quicker time frame. But I still think that the CGI can be done better because the technology is so advanced since then, and especially the motion capture. So I'm really excited to see things like Dobby, to see what they come up with for his character design and the mocap. I'm sure it'll look great. But I really do think that they have potential to, if they have terrific CGI, this can be very special combined with practical effects. I read an interview with Chris Columbus saying that he's he's he was very unhappy with the CGI in the first film because they rushed, they, they rushed it. They had the release date. And Warner Brothers just made, were like basically just put out what you have ready. And And it wasn't there yet. Yeah, he's, Columbus said the CGI wasn't finished. I think the troll does not, has not aged well at all. That's probably the worst CGI in the film. Some, the of, troll. The, some of the Quidditch doesn't look. Yeah, too the Quidditch hasn't aged well. But I still love it. But yeah, but it it did improve in Chamber because they were given more time to work on the visual effects. Also, the bricks moving. The bricks are terrible. Yeah, <laughs> it, it looks like a video game. Honestly, <laughs> when they enter Diagon Alley, it, it looks like a video game. But, but it, I mean, it's two thousand one. It's still. I mean, yeah. When I saw it as a kid, I was like, "Holy crap, the bricks are moving!" Yeah, but I mean, the the, the Matrix came out in nineteen ninety nine. Yeah, <laughs> keep that in mind. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, I would say, yeah, they they can improve Dr- Draco's character a lot. Obviously, he has his best amount of screen time and storyline and plot in Half Blood Prince, but I think there's a lot they can that they left to be desired for Draco in the first five films. And After- he kind of, I think, in Order is my least favorite Draco because they kind of turned him into a laugh at him kind of character. You know what I mean? A caricature of himself. Yeah, more of a just like goofy, a straight up goofy bully. Yeah. He kind of disappears after Chamber from... Obviously, he's not a main part of the books either, but he's still consistently... In a lot of sequences and a lot of scenes with Harry and the trio so I think they can do a better job of getting Draco in there more often after Chamber of Secrets yeah. and before Deathly hot I mean uh, Half-Blood Prince. Because they, they did a great job in, Flo- in Sorcerer Stone going to detention in the Forbidden Forest with them so there are more sequences like that in the other books where he is actually pretty involved in some scenes. Because he's a main character in Half-Blood Prince and once he's in the in the movie you're like oh man I forgot how great Draco Malfoy is as a character and he really kills it in that movie in that book. Yeah. so. He's Awesome. Do you want to talk about the Dursleys real quick, like one part? Because I have two things to say about them. One, it's not in the book, and the other thing is something they can do better. What are they? So the Dursleys. Overall, I think they do a good job with the Dursleys for for the most part. I know in which one of them is it that the actors asked for more money, so they just cut them from the opening. They, I think they opened up. Is it Half Blood? half blood prince yeah Yeah, there's an opening of the dursleys in the book and half blood prince but on this so i think consistently always having the dursleys in the first episode is something that they should do in the in the show as well as I would love to this factors into later with things that are missing but since we're talking about it. Mr. Weasley destroying their living room accidentally in goblet of fire because <laughs> he's using the flu network and their fireplace is blocked. He's like there's something in the way and he blasts it and destroys the living room. So, so there's a lot of funny sequences with the Dursleys as well as Fred and George leave that candy for dursley to find and it gives him it like makes his tongue super long dudley? Or, yeah dudley. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah i mean Dudley, so they give him like they leave yeah. it out there for dudley to find and obviously dudley's gonna eat it and isn't um isn't it they're going through a heat wave in order or something order what? thinks there's a heat, heat wave, wave yeah and then there's i think in the second or third film dudley's becoming so obese that the whole family's <laughs> eating only grapefruits yeah. but harry <laughs> harry's <laughs> told his friends and everyone to send him cakes, so that he's like eating cakes in his bedroom. Like he's got he's got a floorboard full of desserts and treats from oh like was So true, because, I yeah. That. So they're all eating like half a grapefruit. So Dudley's suffering, and then Harry's like, mm, "This grapefruit is so filling." Goes up and has some cake. So little things like that, I can think they can that's sprinkle a great, in. That's a great point because in the books, whenever you whenever you bought a new book, you'd be like, "Okay, what's the Dursley opening yeah. of the story?" And in the films, that became less important. Obviously, second half of the films, the second four film, the last four films, they put much less emphasis on the Dursleys. But for Harry, every year during the summer, it's his life is at the Dursleys. Exactly. So I think I think I totally agree. They can much they can do a much better portrayal of the Dursleys. Although the actors were phenomenal, oh, they great. Yeah, there's a lot more that they could have done for sure. Also. Deathly Hallows Part 1, the Dursleys leaving Privet Drive, was so rushed, so underwhelming. I did not feel anything watching it because in the book, it's actually really important. Dudley does, like, some really sweet gestures. does he H- leaves something outside his room? He leaves a tea, a, a cup of tea, and Harry <laughs> spills it when he opens his door. He's like, oh, another prank by Dudley. He left this, like, cup of tea here. But then he realizes, oh, wait, he left that cup of tea for me to have when I woke up. So, like, Dudley's starting to realize that, like, he actually, like, is important to me. So and he think, doesn't want Harry to leave. Yeah, he's yeah. like he's confused. He's like, wait, why isn't he coming with us? They're yeah. Like he's staying here. He's like, but well, why? So I think that <laughs> getting that emotional connection finally between Dudley and Harry and Deathly Hollows was so important. But again, they have to rush it. But I was I was underwhelmed by the way the Dudleys left in Deathly Hallows Part 1, the movie. Absolutely agree. That's a great point. And, I mean, I'm sure we're going to get a lot of them in the show. We have to, especially in the first... Like, the first episode of every season should be heavy Dursleys. I can't wait to see who they cast in those roles. Yeah, Those are the ones I'm really excited to see. Obviously, everyone else. But, like, I think the Dudleys and the, I mean, the Dursleys would be super fun. Absolutely. So, another con I have to the films is that after Chamber of Secrets, Hagrid is a very minor character... Showing up here and there, it's pretty, I mean, it is quite disappointing because he's such a a piece of the heart of the story, especially the connection to Harry being the first first person of magic that he ever meets. So they have a lot of potential. Obviously, Hagrid's going to be tough shoes to fill, but a lot of potential to throw more Hagrid into the story from season one to season eight. Yeah, I would say Azkaban is kind of missing, sort of, and then... I would have liked to see him go to Azkaban in Chamber. Yeah. That, that would... That's something they can show. Yeah, because it's not in the books, but yeah. that would be lit. Yeah. Um, also, i would be cool to see more of Azkaban in general. Let's see, he comes into play later on in Goblet of Fire. He's got a decent role, for sure, in the movies. With the with the, with the um, dragons, for sure. And, and then, then um, Order court, court also courting the... What is she, Russian? Beobuton? Headmistress? Yeah. Beobuton, oh, French, French headmistress. Yeah. yeah. And then Order of the Phoenix, I feel like he's not really in... Oh, he's, he's with the Giants. Yeah. So... The, the Giants storyline. He's here and there, but I feel like they could add more Hagrid in there. Mm-hmm. He's He's got a lot more in the book. Like, the kids going to visit Hagrid here and there, like, that would be so fun. Absolutely. Because they often go to see him and have tea. And, and uh, rock cakes. <laughs> <The> rock <laughs> cakes that, like, break your teeth if you chew on them. This one, I have one that's listed as background on more characters. It's actually probably better if we put it on later. Yeah, like yeah, there. I have them on that list. All right, cool. Yeah. Um. So how about... Harry versus Voldemort at Hogwarts. <sighs> I, I love the Battle of Hogwarts. It's great. Like, how do you do this epic battle? I think they did a ra- really great job. But the fight between Harry and Voldemort is kind of odd and underwhelming at times. Like, like Voldemort has him in ropes, <laughs> strapped. Like, just Avada Kedavra like, just he's him. Like, he's right there. Instead, he has to grab his face and keep talking to him. Let's finish this together. How did like, we start? The the and, they, like, <laughs> and all then this. they apparate fly across the ground. They fall. It's cool, but like, it's a trailer shot. They made that just for the trailer. When you watch the trailer, like Harry being lifted into ropes and yeah. binded, that's part of the trailer. I think that's why they, we've discussed in depth why that shot's in there. And I think that's it. But I, I feel like the battle could have been a lot more authentic to the book, as well as the final showdown should have been in the Great Hall, surrounded by Everyone versus in the courtyard where there's not a person and just crumbled, destroyed rock and rubble of Hogwarts Castle. Put that fight, the final sequence, the final battle in front of every witch and wizard there. But also the taunting of Harry of Voldemort, taunting him and revealing all of the knowledge that Voldemort is shocked that Harry knows about. Everything about the Horcruxes, everything about Voldemort's past as Tom Riddle. It is one of my favorite parts of the entire book series of Harry just fucking going to town on him. <laughs> it's great. And it's it, it's just, and also for everybody to witness Voldemort's death, you need to have, they needed that. They need to see him die. He's caused so much death and destruction and nobody sees Harry defeat Voldemort. Does he just walk in and be like, so another part of the movie is like, he just walks into Hogwarts and everyone's like getting fixed up or like recovering and does that does he know does anyone know he killed Voldemort? They just all believe him. They're just like (laughs) he he doesn't even say anything he just walks in and everybody's like I guess the battle's over it's like did you do it, Harry? Is yeah, he dead? yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, he's dead. Oh, yeah, totally, totally dead. Totally, totally dead. dead. <laughs> <laughs> totally dead. I found that to be, it's, it was an underwhelming conclusion. And then battle. some new dark wizard named Toldemort comes up. He's got <laughs> a mustache. A mustache. <laughs> <laughs> mustache and glasses. Yeah, I don't know who this guy is. I swear I killed him. <laughs> Another thing they can really improve on is Ginny Weasley, who is kind of just like, unlikable in the films for most part she kind of lacks personality she's uh in the in the book she's very brave she's an excellent fighter she's very smart and she's Super very funny charming too. yeah she's very funny as well she has some of that weasley goofball charm is uh, that into her character she's the coolest kid in class yeah she is a, she's like a popular kid and she's always dating, like, guys. Guys are, like, going crazy for her. That's <laughs> yeah. no, no, no. true. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not saying, like, she's, like, promiscuous, but, like, <laughs> the guy, the guys love her. The, like, yeah. All the guys like, have a crush on her. You know what I mean? So she is, like. Even a, Harry, he just can't admit it. So, yeah. like, he's, like, something inside my heart is just a, a beast that just yeah. wants to tear Dean apart. <laughs> <laughs> so, and nothing against the actress. She's great. But I think that she was written as kind of uh, flat. And bland and lacking personality. In the relationship between her and Harry, it's just glossed over so much. There's actually a lot more because they're finishing up the school year, dating each other. And then then eventually when Harry's gonna go on his quest for the horcruxes, that's when he breaks up with her basically. At the funeral. Yeah. Yeah. So or or is it the beginning of Deathly Hollows? I can't remember. I think it's the beginning of Death, Deathly Hallows. I book. think he breaks up her at the end of Half Blood Prince after Dumbledore is buried. Well, either way, we yeah. have the rest of the term. They're together. No, yeah, because then when he's at the Weasley's house, prepping for the wedding and staying there, it's awkward between them. Yeah, and yeah. like they're like they finish up their. Uh, I mean, uh, their final exams and everything. They're, like, spending time by the Black Lake and everything like that. So more of the relationship aspect as well as making it feel authentic. Like, I think the Room for Requirement scene when they're hiding the book of the Half-Blood Prince, it's, like, the weirdest kiss. Like, (laughs) close your eyes. (laughs) (laughs) The music is terrific, but that scene just, I'm always just, like, kind of cringe. It's pretty bad. So I think the romances can be done a lot better, but not just between Harry and... Ginny, But also another thing they could do better, I think, is the character of Cho Chang. She has a lot more to do in the books as well as she kind of gets done dirty because she's not the one that reveals the truth of Dumbledore's army to Dolores Umbridge under Veritaserum. It's her friend that does it. So I think if you have the friend do that, but also a little more Cho Chang in terms of it included in half blood i mean goblet of fire as well as her quidditch skills as well as the relationship that harry and cho chang have which is a very awkward relationship it's not he's not a good romancer or a dater at this point and like it's terrible he like they takes had a date at the hogs head right hogs Meat in Hogsmead, and like yeah. he's like he didn't tell her that he was also going to meet hermione granger there so he's like terrible at dating yeah and cho chang gets jealous of hermione like oh you're going to see another girl while we're here so yeah i think they did cho chang dirty in the in the movies because she has a lot more to do and also the grief she feels about um, Cedric, Cedric Diggory. Diggory's death so um uh, <laughs> Batman's death <laughs> he's trying to court her while she's grieving the death of her boyfriend so it is it's a complicated uh, courtship but they really don't do a good job fleshing it out in the film <laughs> it's like Chaz in um <laughs> no in uh Wedding Crashers uh, funerals, man. Girls are so horny there, man. Grief is the ultimate aphrodisiac. Well, Pharaoh, wedding crashes. Oh, my God, Chaz. <laughs> 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 uh, something else, I mean, we just touched on is Dumbled- Dumbledore's funeral. Uh, Harry and Ginny sit next to each other during the funeral, and she holds his hand. It's a great part of the book at the end of Half-Blood Prince, and they just they don't even have the funeral. They just showcase uh, his tomb that Voldemort breaks into at the end of the film. And that's they didn't show the funeral at all, but he got he got buried on Hogwarts grounds. But uh, not just Ginny and Harry, but like everyone up. shows yeah. up. Even the mermaids. The ministers of, Minister of Magic is there. Yeah, the, the people are there, not mermaids, Anthony. It's sorry, mer-people. sorry. This is Wizarding World, geez louise. Doesn't even remember <laughs> Cedric's name, thinks there are There's mermaids. There's mermaids in it? Mer- mer- in people. the world? Yeah. No, but in the world there are mermaids. Yeah, true. Sure, I'll <laughs> give you that. They're, they're people. But like, it's a huge event. People come from all over the Wizarding World, so this is something that I think they really should focus on in the show being a concluding chapter and part of probably the final episode in season six. Yeah, absolutely. So it's something they they definitely kind of dropped the ball on. It was a fitting farewell. It was very tragic. But the funeral, I, I really love that part of the book. Another thing I think they can do a little better Another one. With. The castings obviously are tremendous in the movies, especially so we're talking about the generation of Harry's parents. Now, Sirius Black, Lupin. Um, Snape. Gary, uh, yeah, Snape. They're all perfectly Pettigrew, cast like yeah. these actors are the best in the world that's why they're all cast however they are kind of old for their roles because when Harry's parents die when they're killed, they're only 21 years old. That means Sirius, Snape, Lupin. They're all in their 30s, early to mid-30s, starting off the franchise. The yeah, but then they're in their 40s, the actors. Some of them in their 50s when they started acting in the movies. So obviously they wanted the best actors alive, which they had to do. It yeah. worked so well. But I think for the show, they can cast these characters with younger actors and actresses for sure. And I think it will work better for the show going forward for... If They're gonna do seven full seasons and also harry's parents they're always older actors always like they should be like 21 years old should be age appropriate yes because in in when he looks at the mirror of erised in sorcerer's stone his parents they obviously did it to not confuse kids because it would have thrown kids off if like the parents looked like they were still young because to me a 21 year old still looks like a kid honestly most of the time they just look so young and so book accurate Harry's parents should look very young because they had him when they were very young so but I think they did it to not confuse kids to be like these are his parents they look middle-aged but that's not book accurate at least I think they should just I know they'll probably go a little older still they're not going to cast 21 year olds but I think young looking 30s something year olds like young looking adults because they would be young and ghosts don't age and spirits don't age that's why i really can't stand and scream billy loomis ghost because he's getting older he's getting older like i know the cgi he looks young but like do spirits age i thought (laughs) i don't get it (laughs) i think that the the show will open with james and lily with baby harry some a couple of sequences Mm. to get the audience up to speed with how old they were when they died everyone's up to speed I'm talking about new audiences, bro. Really you want to open up with their death? I would op- I I would guess that they're going to open with um the death. Yeah, with Voldemort attacking them, but it will be like 5 to 10 minutes of James and Lilia's parents. That would be a bold opening. And they might even throw maybe Sirius will visit for a sequence here and there. Um and then Voldemort will attack them. Huh. That's how I would do now it. Now that you say that out loud, that's actually a cool idea. Maybe even get Peter Pettigrew in there. I would say like leaving their house. Yeah, I would I would establish the Marauders, and they're at the age of 21, 22. And then it could be Harry's birthday. And all, birthday. maybe all the most serious yeah. shows up she, for his birthday. Yeah, yeah. so it would be Harry's first birthday, opening presents. And then the Marauders leave, Lily and James. They put Barry, Harry to bed. <laughs> Barry to bed. <laughs> Go to <laughs> sleep, Barry. <laughs> and then Voldemort shows up and attacks them. That's how I would do the opening because then you could show Sirius- You establish Lupin. them. You could show Sirius Lupin and Peter Pettigrew there yeah. all together. You could show the characterizations of like Peter's probably very nervous and then he maybe leaves yep. early and Sirius mm-hmm. leaves on his bike and Lupin. That would actually be pretty cool. That's what I would do. That's actually pretty- I like that. Yeah. yeah they got to do something different. HBO Max, hit us hit up. Hit us up, bro. <laughs> we'll, we'll help write That's the script. That's what scripts. I would do. Then you establish those actors and then you accept the, the younger audiences who don't know the films or books. They they'll, When they see- Harry's parents, as ghosts, they'll understand why they're so young. The one thing for that, though, is they'd have to cast actors for this that would only be in one scene, and they wouldn't show up for three years, yeah. two years. So would actors want to even do that scheduling-wise? I'm sure they would. Yeah, but that would be, be the, the Harry Potter That would be series. the one thing. Yeah. They'd have to nail actors and then get their their schedules Nailed in. Nail them hard. <laughs> <laughs> get their schedules in for, like, the next... Five years. I think I think a up actor will be happy to accept yeah, the role. You're, of Sirius You're going to act for one day. Wait, so wait, you're going to give me the role of Serious Black, but I can't act for three years. <laughs> Fuck this. No way. I'm not being Serious Black. Just, Good luck just, HBO Max. Just say that's something they have to con- they have to do. <laughs> just something that you have, from a production standpoint. Good luck HBO Max. Well, Harry Potter. I'm ma- not going to be Serious Black. <laughs> Never heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> something else that. Can, speaking of Harry. Uh, give him green eyes, so maybe they can cast an actor with green eyes, or they can CGI it. Or contacts. Contacts, yeah. Because Daniel Radcliffe, they try to do the contact lenses, he's one of the rare percentage of people that their eyes cannot stand contact lenses, so... hate him! So that's why they had to change that for the movies. Obviously, Daniel Radcliffe's terrific and perfectly cast, but that's something that I think they can really do, is green eyes for Harry. Also the hair. The hair Harry's should be messy. hair should be a fucking mess the whole time. <laughs> he can't control it. It has a mind of its own. His hair should be all over the place. That's a great sequence they can do in Sorcerer's Stone where <laughs> like always trying to cut his hair, but it keeps growing. Like The whole first episode should just be Harry at the Dursleys. Oh, yeah, for sure. Everything in there, nothing it, else. So the first episode will end probably with the letter arriving. Maybe, yeah. That's my guess. Yeah. But his hair... Is uncontrollable, untameable, and absolute. It's just a mess the whole time. So obviously, they make it neater for the films. It just looks better. But if you want to be accurate to Harry, his hair needs to be a fucking mess. Yeah. Something else that they can do a better job of is I love Mad-Eye Moody so much, but I think there's a little more that they could add in for the character, not just in Goblet of Fire, but going forward in other episodes and other seasons and parts of the story, Like as a leader within within the Order. Yeah, in the Order of Phoenix, but also Goblet of Fire, there's quite a bit left out. But not to mention just Mad-Eye Moody, but in general, something that we missed real quick, something they can do a better job of is the classes and lessons. Every movie... There's like a couple lessons here and there, but now that you're going to do a TV show, I think that you can really take advantage of spending time in classrooms, which I think are such great parts of the books and like the things that happen in the lessons, but I think more time with the professors is something that can really benefit the show. I think that there something missing from the movies was a, a lack of connection with the professors, especially the long-standing ones that are uh, teaching for the entire course of the story. Uh, There's, I think, McGonagall shows up here and there, but she, I mean, you could really have so many more scenes with McGonagall as a professor, but also as the head of Gryffindor House, so I think there's a lot of potential to... Really get more professors in the show. Especially potions class. There are oh, yeah. a lot of potion classes in the book. And Snape is so horrible to <laughs> Harry and Ron and all of them. So, like, more of Snape being a horrible person, I think, yeah. in potions class. And, Flitwick, and to Neville. Flitwick has, like, one scene in the movies. Yeah. And that's <laughs> it. Like, With one, Guardian Leviosa. Yeah, that's it. And then the choir. Because, but he's the charms professor, so he does a lot of teaching in the books, you know? So, I think taking advantage of more professors and more classes and lessons would be awesome. The route that the films took was they would focus on, like, one kind of class per film. Like, it would be Trelawney for Azkaban and then Potions in the first film. Well, they did, they did all the classes in the first film. Potions and Half-Blood yeah, Prince. Half-Blood Prince. Prince. Yeah, I'm so... Like, more Defense Against the Dark Arts yeah. outside of Prisoner of Azkaban would be great. Exactly. So And then I think that, you know, being able to do all the classes, the curriculum is something that is a big upside for the series. Think the so whole too. curriculum, and even taking more exams because the exams at the end of the exams. year. Exams, <laughs> the, the exams. exams. <laughs> Ron, Ron hates exams. He at least said that with a cigarette in his hand. Also, more of Ron asking money to do his homework. Yeah. <laughs> Just, can I copy it? Just a couple inches. <laughs> 18 inches of parchments, an essay, 18 inch essay. And he'll write, he'll try to write write his letters large, and then Hermione's are always so small because she writes so much. It's great. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's do, what else do we have for this, for improvements? For improvements, blah, blah, blah. Oh, uh, Dumbledore's aggressive reaction to finding out that Harry's name is in the Goblet of Fire <laughs> Harry, did you put your name in the Goblet of Fire? <laughs> Dumbledore calmly asks Harry <laughs> oh, Did you put it in the Goblet of Fire? This is a directing thing, alright? So everyone blames Michael Gammon for this, but he was, that's him being directed. Yeah, Mike newells it's, it's, he's in charge of what's going on you know. The but director. I think that's a funny thing that people are upset about still <laughs> I think it's hilarious uh, More Dobby, more credit for Dobby. him Dobby 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 <laughs> Sorry, Dobby. Dobby! This one's important, I think. More credit for Dobby because he does a lot of things in the books that Neville gets credit for. The gillyweed in Goblet of Fire. yeah, yeah. In the Wars of Tournament. In the movies, Neville gives it to him because Mad and Moody Moody gives him that herbology book. But Dobby's the one who gives Harry part of the gillyweed. Also, in the movies. Neville gets credit for discovering the Room of Requirements. Dobby's the one that suggests it to Harry when they're trying to find a place for Dumbledore's army. So they erased him. They- ar- Dobby erased him. They replaced him with Neville. I get it, they want more Neville want in there. more Neville, but yeah. But Dobby's the one who did that stuff, man. He is. He's a, he's a cool dude. He's a really really sweet guy. He's a, he's a great guy. Really big, cute ears. <laughs> um, Harry not using Expelliarmus enough. Uh, it's his bread and butter. And it's an uh, identifier of Death Eaters, especially when they all take Polyjuice Potion to turn into Harry. The way the Death Eaters find him is because he often likes to use Expelliarmus too much. Expelliarmus! Expelliarmus! Lupin says it's become your bread and butter. Um, Half Blood Prince, the burning of the Burrow. Oh my God! Pisses me off every time it's I watch top. it. I love Half Blood Prince, but whenever the <laughs> scene starts, sometimes I skip it. <laughs> Especially, what are you gonna do about this fire? Especially when Ginny ties Harry's shoes. <laughs> like what is? Your shoelaces is undone. Who wrote that? Great chemistry, guys. I love this budding oh, romance. hey, let me tie your shoelace for you. <laughs> okay. And, God, did they have a seven-year-old write the script? <laughs> this is like a seven-year-old how they would how they they would do a court. Cloves wrote this script, but like who came up with that idea? How about Ginny ties Harry's shoe? Perfect. <laughs> genius <laughs> romance <laughs> awkward but it's it's palpable it's because they're teens and then but the burning of the Burrow does not happen in the books i understand because they eliminated the battle of hogwarts in half-blood prince in the astronomy tower that they want to add more action don't love this scene at all what's the uh, uh what's the wolf guy's name Fenrir grayback there's more grayback in the books that they could have they could have thrown the yeah. films. a lot more not just of him yeah. visually but also People talking about Fenrir Greyback. Yeah, he's like he he likes to turn into a werewolf near children because he likes to feed on children. That's and a, he likes to turn people. Yeah, too. it's it's a terrible terrible character. Great so villain. just axe the burrow and put in the Battle of Hogwarts. Please. Yeah, I mean, come on. I think they were like, we need more action halfway through the film. It's like, dude, they, Harry, yeah. it's a Harry Potter movie. Everybody's gonna show up. Doesn't matter. Um, and then. <clears throat> Percy Weasley is a character that can be done better. He's in the first film, but he kind of just is hardly ever there, especially when he starts working at the Ministry of Magic and he's working with both with his father at the ministry and he doesn't even talk to his father anymore because he's trying to get power. He's working for Cornelius Fudge. He gets on Fudge's side against the family. and So he starts to turn on the family and start to be part of the government's authority, especially when they're starting to get infiltrated by the dark wizards and by voldemort and he's part of that he's that happy to push propaganda he's part of the system yeah. and then not have not showing his redemption in deathly hollows when he comes back he apologizes and every he makes up with for everybody with everybody and then fights alongside them all i wrote well, percy being a twat <laughs> he's, he's a, <laughs> exactly he's, he's a twat for most of the books. more twat yeah <laughs> everybody hates him <laughs> also um, Harry and the Elder Wand is something that they kind of Piss me off. Yeah. So in the book he actually uses the Elder Wand to repair his broken wand. Um and then he breaks the elder wand. No, so he doesn't break the elder he Wand. He doesn't break it. So he repairs his wand and then puts Dumbledore's wand in his grave. Oh that's right. So that's he right. returns the wand back to Dumbledore to rest forever with his body. But then you can't just snap the fucking elder wand in half. It's an it's a deathly hollow. I would say You can't just break that thing. I would say it could be – I would say it's probably unbreakable. I 100% yeah. agree. Yeah. By hand. Yeah. Like, like you would probably need an extremely powerful wizard with a crazy spell to break that thing realistically. Exactly. They yeah. couldn't even open up the horcruxes without yeah. a, <laughs> fucking crazy spells. So I think that's something that always irked me was Harry just snapping the Elder one and throwing it into the river. I'm that- like the – black, the Black Lake. I'm like, what the – I, st- I love the movies. But that's just so inaccurate. Yeah. And yeah. pisses me off. I understand why they did it though. But also he should re- he has to repair his wand. That's I don't like in the film he didn't repair his wand. He's just gonna use Draco's wand forever? Yeah. Does, I understand. Doesn't he the, say like this one suits the, like I'm warming up to this one or something like that. Well, the allegiance shifts to him, obviously, <laughs> but it's not his wand. Yeah, Harry's Harry's wand. He needs is that special. Phoenix feather to be Harry. Also, yeah, Draco's wand is black, and I feel like, I don't know, It's it suits uh, a Malfoy, that kind of wand. Or like a, a Slytherin. Yeah, a Dark a Slytherin, Wizard. yeah. I, don't know, I think brown suits the color for Gryffindor, a Gryffindor person. I don't care about the color, I'm yeah. just talking about the wand. It's not his wand. I think he has to repair his wand, and he has to bury the other one with Dumbledore. Yeah, it has to happen. Good point, Uh Two other little things I think they can do better. <laughs> I think Creature is a character that they can do a little better. Obviously, he's in there in Deathly Hallows 1 and 2, but also showing how he's kind of becoming part of the family as well versus just being such a negative Nancy, even though he always is a negative Nancy, but he starts to warm up to the characters. Yeah, he starts doing um things for them. When they're staying at Grimald place, he starts like serving them. Especially Hermione in yeah, yeah. Ron. Also, I'm guessing if if I was gonna if I was making the show, I would show serious black flashbacks in the um black household. And then you get oh, that'd be cool. then you get Regulus. You get so Master- for Half Blood Prince? In um, Deathly Hollows. yeah. So then you get um, Regulus and Sirius as kids. I I would actually hint at Regulus earlier. Um, I would say that when Sirius and Harry become uh, close and, and begin their bonding, I would start showing flashbacks of Sirius's backstory, so that we can get a hint of the locket. We can get get a hint of his brother Regulus, and showcase how. Um, the challenge of that household and how Regulus became a Death Eater, but then, bet- and then maybe betrayed them. So there's a lot of potential to really show more black of the Black family history. Um, you could even get a flashback of Bellatrix as a evil teen. So I think there's a lot of potential to do more story that the movies and even the books didn't really show in great detail. You could do a whole episode on that. Yeah. Because that's what I love about The Last of Us. I always bring up is they show things that you can only imagine in the game that happens in the, show, in, the, in the show, so I actually enjoy that. So there's a lot of potential. The Black Household is a, a fascinating story. And just one final thing. I'm sure there are many other things that you can bring up if you're listening, but we have on our list is the relationship between Fleur de la Cour with Bill, but also Fleur de la and Mrs. Weasley because they do not <laughs> get along at all, especially after Bill gets bit by Fenrir Greyback because Mrs. Weasley is probably insecure that floor is going to abandon bill so they butt heads consistently until they really just like have a great cry right. moment of connection yeah. and they bond yeah. and then they become family basically immediately yeah. and she accepts they they uh Mrs. Weasley accepts floor as a daughter basically yeah, before the wedding yeah so i think that's something a little more floor de la cour because she has a lot more to do with the they butt heads the whole yeah. time yeah but yeah more mrs weasley i think mrs weasley is such a great character she, she is an absolute and she delight. is oh she's so funny in the books This episode is sponsored by our friends at MoviePosters.com, the number one place to get your posters online today. Head on over to MoviePosters.com and use our promo code RAIDERS10 to get 10% off your order today. Our set in-house is decked out with so many of these amazing posters, high-quality prints, the best you can get for your money. They have all sorts of sizes, framing, and even backlighting for your poster needs. So if you need to get a movie poster for either yourself or the movie fan in your life, Head on over to MoviePosters.com and use our promo code RAIDERS10 to get 10% off your order today. How about we get into things missing from the films? Yes. This is just like, not that they can improve, but they just did not even put in the films at all. So I would say, we talked about it a little bit earlier, but Voldemort's, wait, we didn't talk about this yet. Voldemort's look. So Ray Fiennes, I think, was a perfect Voldemort. And they did a very good job portraying the look of Voldemort. However, he is much more monstrous in the novel. He has red eyes. He has slits for eyes. They use Ray Fine's natural blue eyes for the character. Obviously, they got the uh, pale chalk white skin correct. But I think the cat-like slits for pupils is something that can be really menacing. He's also got a skeletally thin body. But his hands and fing- his fingers are, like, unnaturally long. Like, they're super long fingers and they're, like, monstrous. Also, like, think they had his very long nails, sharp they nails. They got that in the movies. Okay, they got. But I feel like they just still just use Rafe Fiennes' hands. But he's oh, got the, long fingers. Yeah, but in the in the books, like his there's a couple of images of him, and his hands are his fingers are massive. They're so long. So Anthony wants the hot dog length fingers get, from gotta, everything gotta, everywhere. All at once. Gotta get the hot dog fingers, <laughs> and I, I think that's something they can really improve upon by making Voldemort their true monstrosity in person. I think it was the great decision for the movies to keep his human eyes because it adds an eerie, even more kind of. Horror quality to the character that there's still he's still a human, but like he's this monster. But I think it would be really cool to give him the red eyes oh, for yeah. the show. I oh, think yeah. why not in the slits? In the slits, that yeah. would be that would be pretty epic. It might be too difficult for production wise to do it too quickly, but we'll see. I think it'd be fun, it'd be super fun, guys. And also, just on top of that, in Philosopher's Stone, uh, I believe that his face looks like that in the back of. Quirrell's head. I can't remember. Uh, the and they did. In the they books. did a human face in the movie, but I believe it is the snake-like face with the slits for nostrils. Yeah. It, they, yeah. It absolutely is the snake-like figure of a face, and st- instead of just a human face. Yeah. All right. Uh, another really important thing that they left out were the challenges in Sorcerer's Stone or Philosopher's Stone when they're going for the stone underneath Fluffy. There's a really great sequence in the books of Snape's challenge that is just completely glossed over in the films. I think, you know, they have time constraints. you got to get this going. And it's a riddle. It's one of my favorite challenges, though. But it's a great challenge. But it's it's a riddle that Hermione figures out. And it's just logic. (laughs) (laughs) So that's something I think they can definitely add. Yeah, Snape made a bunch of potions on a table. One allows the person to go onwards. One allows... Through the fire. Through the fire. One allows a person to go through the purple flames, which will send them back to Hogwarts, which Hermione ends up using so that she can find help for Ron. And then one of them's poison, and a couple of them are nothing, I think. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. something like that. So I think that would be really good. But cool. it has nothing to do with knowledge of potions. It's all just a mind riddle that she solves pretty quickly. And that's the only challenge that's not in the... M- Correct, yeah. Movies, the, right? Yeah, it's the only one. Next up, we talked a little bit earlier, Tom Riddle's backstory. His backstory as a, a, a young adult not a young adult, but as as an adult, is completely just skipped over. Nothing about him investigating Horcruxes uh, and then also trying to find valuable items that he will use as Horcruxes. Um, There's some really incredible flashbacks that we learn about when Harry and Dumbledore go into the memories. So there is so much potential for Tom Riddle's formation into Voldemort. The next thing that they can add from the books and to the show that they didn't do in the movies are connected from the Order of the Phoenix and the Half-Blood Prince. And they both have to do with Dumbledore's army. I think they can do Dumbledore's army a lot better. There's a lot more sequences with Harry teaching the spells as well as something very important that comes into play in the Half-Blood Prince with the Battle of Hogwarts, which they have to add in especially, I think, is the secret galleons that they use to communicate when they are letting each other know when the next meeting is for Dumbledore's army, which get used in the Half-Blood Prince as well as by Draco Malfoy. He grabs a hold of those coins as well. But the Battle of Hogwarts has to take place in Half-Blood Prince and the Astronomy Tower when the Death Eaters come in and they battle all of Dumbledore's army. It's all-out war. And the Order of the Phoenix are all fighting together. And Harry gives his friends... A sip of Felix Felicis, which is why they all survived the battle. Because he saved some of it after he still had some left over from yeah. Slughorn, getting the memory. But also just having Dumbledore's army fighting with the Order of the Phoenix against Death Eaters in Hogwarts Castle has to be done. This is also where Bill gets bit by Fenrir Greyback, but they, they can't skip it this time. They have to absolutely have this. 100%. It should be an entire episode. Next up. The Sorting Hat sings a song before every sorting ceremony and the hat writes it itself. And Ron even makes like a funny comment in the book when they go into Dumbledore's office and they see the Sorting Hat on the shelf. And he's like, man, all he does all year is like something like along the lines of he spends all year coming up with the lyrics for the next song. He's like, it's a miserable life. He just sits there all by himself <laughs> and comes up with the lyrics yeah. for the next song. Yeah, so the Sorting Hat actually he's always sings a song and it's always different. So you want a sorting ceremony every every episode, every season. The song. At least I the want s- the song. At least the song. Yeah, at least for the first season, the song. <laughs> Something fun here is Oh girls dormitories <laughs> so if boys try to go into the girls dormitories in houses they turn into a slide the stairs just turn into a slide and they fall <laughs> down they <laughs> actually do it in uh, hogwarts legacy it's great yeah oh do they yeah no way i should try that it's like you're not allowed in here like you try to walk up them and then yeah oh. you just you see a random set of stairs and it just turns into a ramp. also oh, the dorms actually the actually common room actually does something yeah <laughs> <laughs> Shots of the game. (laughs) Next up, uh, helping Norbert escape in Sorcerer's Stone was a great plot. That they didn't do in the movies because this is where Harry and Hermione help Ron's brother Charlie come and get Norbert from the roof of Hogwarts. Take him to Romania? Yeah, to take him to, yeah, I think Romania with with Charlie. But they coordinate this whole thing with Charlie via letters, and then they get onto the roof, but they also get caught and get into trouble here. Kind, like they, I remember they do get into trouble because they get yeah. caught. I think you're seen by Draco. Yeah. Because Draco's on their tail when he sees Norbert at Hagrid's hut. And then he follows them basically during this whole thing. And I believe this is how they all get detention. Gets is, caught for yeah, detention. Yeah, this is yeah. how they get detention. Alright, so there's a big thing that I didn't like about Half-Blood Prince regarding, and Deathly Hallows regarding Rowena Ravenclaw's diadem. So Harry actually encounters the diadem tiara in Half-Blood Prince in the book. When he is going to hide the potions book in the Room of Requirement, he's looking for a place, something to help him, like a landmark for him to, if he wants to go back to the potions book, he'll be able to find it. And so he finds this random tiara. And he's like, okay, I'll use this as a landmark. So if I need to get this potions book back, I'll put it on, t- I'll put it right there. So I know the potions book is right here in the Room of Requirement in the movie Ginny hides the book for him and then Close kisses him so dumb i hate it i hate it but so this is actually how in deathly hollows he's able to find the diadem because he realizes i know that diadem i used it to help hide the potion's book in last year now in the movie the way they get around this is when he's moving through the room of requirement he starts hearing the horcrux whispering to him and that's what helps him lock on to and find the diadem it's okay. It's an okay replacement, but for me, what's the point? Like, and I, I remember watching Half Blood Prince being like, "Oh my God, he's gonna grab the diadem and doesn't know what it is," and then it never happened. So I found that to be very uh, disappointing in Half Blood Prince. I concur. Something else that they can add and they should add into the show from the books that's not in the movies is some really important sequences at Twelve Grimold Place in. Order of the Phoenix in the when they're there, right? And then also... No, yeah. Order of the Phoenix. Yeah. So they're all staying there and they're cleaning out 12 Grimmauld Place because Sirius has left this to Dumbledore. Mrs. Weasley told him to clean yeah, it. So they're, yeah, so they're cleaning the whole place out yeah. because it's just filled with cobwebs as well as magic stuff here and there, boggarts and closets, whatnot. But there's this particular drawer in a desk up on like the second floor that shaking and Molly couldn't get it open immediately. And she wanted to wait for mad. Eye Moody to come and take care of it. And she's even like, Hey, mad. Eye, could you take care of, I think there's a boggart on that top shelf. He like uses his eyeballs. Like, Oh yeah, I see it, Molly. I'll take care of it. (laughs) And then they just never, they never take care of it. And they think it's a boggart, but it's actually the locket and they do get it open. And it's just this locket in there. So they actually do encounter the locket that, then the trio uh, do that. The, tr- yeah. the trio find the locket, but they don't think anything of it because creature then gets it and then it's stolen by what's his name? Fuck, what's his name? I can't remember. In but they do. The three of them each take turns trying to open it. Yeah, and they can't open they it. Can't open it. But they find the, they actually find the locket. Yeah, and then that's where Dolores Umbridge buys it off. What's his goddamn name? Um, he's in Deathly Hollows one and two, and and he's he's the one who's he's one of the impersonated. Harry's, he's one of the polyjuice potion Harry's in the opening and uh, but he's just like a little thief Mundungus, Mundungus Fletcher, Fletcher. Mundungus. but Mundungus steals it from Gr- Grimmel place, place from he Creature, nicks, he nicks it yeah. nicks it from Creature's cubby and then he sells it to the Lower Sunbridge. He's forced to sell it at yeah. a super low price. Yeah. So the locket I think if they can get that in earlier as kind of like a little easter egg to going forward but it's yeah. important and it's part of the books Yeah. Another major thing that comes into play in Half-Blood Prince that is that shows up earlier in the books is the Cabinets. So the Vanishing Cabinets are obviously what Draco uses to get the Death Eaters into Hogwarts in Half-Blood Prince. But we actually encounter the Cabinets multiple times in the books. So first in Chamber of Secrets, Harry is in Borgin and Burks, and then he sees the Malfoys coming in, so he hides inside one of the Cabinets. So he actually hides inside... One of the vanishing cabinets not knowing it's a vanishing cabinet he's just chilling in there while the malfoys go in the shop and then also the twins actually shoved a slytherin boy montague into a vanishing cabinet at hogwarts that cabinet was faulty trapping montague between hogwarts and borgen and burks this was in half-blood prince now after escaping montague recounted the story to draco about how he was trapped in between the cabinets this gave Draco the idea of this could be a, a basically a portal system to bring the theaters into Hogwarts if I repair the cabinet. Now, the cabinet was broken because of Harry. So in Chamber of Secrets, Harry was in trouble with Filch in order to distract the caretaker, helping him out. Nearly Headless Nick persuaded Peeves the Poltergeist to drop this cabinet right above the office. That cabinet was the vanishing cabinet, which is why it was broken, which is why Montague was stuck in between them. Excellent point, Anthony. Crazy. Speaking of, Peeves the Poltergeist, completely erased from the movies. Has to be in the show. You have to have Peeves in there. Such a fun character, a fun part of Hogwarts. Please put Peeves in it. Peeves in the game is super funny. A big one that is never talked about in the films is that Neville Longbottom was a possible other chosen one. Now, the prophecy Trelawney spoke of said, the one with the power to vanquish the Dark Lord approaches she also said that the person will be born the, the seventh as the seventh month dies this person will be born and the parents of this person thrice defied voldemort those attributes also apply to neville longbottom who was born at the same at the same point of the month and his parents defied voldemort three times so um voldemort was given the option go to either the longbottom household or the potter household and he chose the potter household Causing him to try to kill Harry, which backfired on him, marking him as his equal. But it could have been, possibly, Neville Logbottom. Great, great point. Now, something that is really important to Hermione in Harry Potter that is never done in the movies, but is heavily involved in a lot of the books about halfway through is SPEW, the Society for the Promotion of Elvish Welfare. Now, this happens, and Harry, Hermione forms this organization and Goblet of Fire after she witnesses the mistreatment of Winky, the minister's uh, house elf. And so then she starts to fight for elf rights, especially around Hogwarts. She does these things like she makes all these hats and socks and leaves them out for the house elves to find when they're cleaning up to <laughs> try to free them all. But they end up finding it all very offensive. And Dobby's the one who collects all these hats and, and socks. And one time he shows up to Harry's wearing like 10 hats. <laughs> He's like, he finds these hats everywhere. All the other, all the other elves hate it. <laughs> so... I think just more of the house elves, especially their presence at Hogwarts, but Spew, the organization that Hermione's forming, making her friends donate to the cause to help fight for elf rights. But this is just a great precursor to. Hermione's future as the Minister of Magic and how she gets involved in politics in helping people and helping other organizations. Yeah, I mean, she's like a obvious choice for becoming a Minister of Magic. She, I think that was one of the, like the best uh, ending stories for a character, her and, and Harry becoming aura. And if they do like a prologue of their lives later on with ha- Hermione- An epilogue? Yeah, or like, I mean, an epilogue later on of them, where they're at in their lives with Harry being an aura, Hermione being Minister of Magic, Ron being just like a like a stay-at-home dad. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> he works in the Aura's office, too. Just kidding. But, like, because she implemented the spew uh, stuff into the Ministry of Magic as well. It's not going to be an epilogue. It's going to be Season 9, bro. That's going to be Season 8, bro. Really <laughs> pretty interesting. Like, why not if the actors want to do it? Um, also, oh, I'm sorry. It's Barty crouch's, Barty crouch's house elf, not the Minister of yeah, Magic. Yes, it was the Crouch house elf. Yeah. I was going to say, I'm sorry. I thought I was... That reminded me of something, the Spew thing, but I can't remember now. Also, oh no, okay, I got it. She also forced Ron to join Spew. She forced Ron and and Harry to join Spew, but also, their kiss did not happen in the Chamber of Secrets. Harry, I mean, uh, Hermione and Ron. It happens, like, I think outside the hog... I think outside of Gryffindor common room, maybe. I can't remember exactly, but the reason why Hermione, Hermione kisses Ron it's because he says we gotta do something to save the elves, and she's so overtaken with with love for him for saying that. Then she grabs him and kisses him. Oh yeah, it's in the battle of Hogwarts, yeah, right? right? Before, during the battle, he's like, "We gotta, we gotta save the elves," and she's like, "Oh my god, I love you, Ron Weasley," and then she kisses him. That's how the kiss happens. That's how I don't know, I'm not sure where they are, but that's how Hermione kisses Ron. Gotcha. I think because, they still. I think they might be in the Chamber of Secrets when that happens. It's no? Not in the Chamber. No. Yeah, you're right. It's not in the Chamber. Oh, so it's after it, they it's come back. It's in front back. of Harry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Harry's right there. Yeah, you're right. Guys, can we not do this right now? Yeah. Um. Some more stuff. Goblet of Fire. There's a, Even though they could have done two movies out of this because there's so much in there. But Barty Crouch and Barty Crouch Jr. is something that they could have had more emphasis on. Just more information about everything that's going on. But I think that that would just be an interesting storyline that they can address more as well as. I don't love the opening of Goblet of Fire with the, I think they with uh, the vision? No, not the vision, the killing of the muggle, the old guy. Yeah, it's the vision that Harry has, right? Oh well, yeah, but it's yeah. real. Yeah, yeah. It's also real. Yeah. I think they could have done a better job with that opening. Yeah, I suppose so. But also how um how Barty Crouch Jr escaped Azkaban is never really explained. So in the book, Barty Crouch Sr, he actually smuggled his son out of Azkaban prison at the dying at his dying mother's request. She then took his place in Azkaban Prison, and the Dementors are blind, so they just knew that there was a person there, but they didn't realize it was no longer Barty Crouch Jr. And there was a very weak being, so they assumed it was him. Exactly, because he had been there for so long. So upon his escape, Barty Sr. placed the Jr. under an imperious Curse to keep him under control, which lasted years. And then Barty Crouch Jr. snuck into—he managed to fight it off, the curse, and snuck into the Quidditch World Cup using an Invisibility Cloak And then this is where he caused the mayhem, called the Death Eaters to the to the Quidditch World Cup, which started the entire riot. Stole Harry's wand. Stole Harry's wand, and then he cast the dark, the um skull and cross, the whatever dark dark mark into the sky. So that's how he got to the Quidditch World Cup. Also, they could definitely show how Sirius escaped Azkaban as well. Oh They yeah. don't explain in the movies. They explain in the books how he did it. He did it because he was just sitting there in prison. Whatever, I'm going to die here. I'm here forever. There's nothing I can do about it. I got framed by Pettigrew. But one day, the Minister of Magic comes to Azkaban. And even though Sirius was still there, he was still affected a lot less than the other prisoners. And this is something that Cornelius Fudge noticed. And when he was walking past him, Sirius asked him, For the newspaper, hey, are you done with that newspaper? Can I read it? And then Fudge gives him the newspaper to read. And what's on the front page of the Daily Prophet? It is the Weasleys in Egypt, and on Ron's shoulder is a rat with one finger missing. And Sirius knows that rat because it's Peter Pettigrew. And that's what motivates Sirius to escape Azkaban because he realizes that Peter Pettigrew is still alive. Great plot that could be so fun to see. Yeah, just that's, like a couple of minutes. That's a great missing plot line. Just do a flashback when they're in the shrieking shack of that. Oh yeah, there's so much they can so many flashbacks they could do for Azkaban. It's with all the black characters for sure. Next up, Tom Riddle is the cause for the defense against the dark arts curse. So the professor post, nobody can last more than one year as the defense against the dark arts professor. This is because Tom Riddle. After graduating, he wanted the post. He asked Dumbledore for it. Dumbledore refused him, knowing that this dude was fucked up in the head. <laughs> and then <laughs> since that day, no professor—the the post as professor has been cursed. Yeah, this is something they can do in a flashback for yeah. the memories. This is a memory of Dumbledore's when they're looking through the Pensieve of Voldemort. He's become more grotesque and more, more snake-looking versus his very handsome self, what he used to look like. He's meeting with Dumbledore for the position, but he really went there to hide something in the castle, and which was um, the diadem in the Room of Requirements, which he thought only he knew of. And so he gets turned down, but that's really all. He wanted to, there, to be there, but really it was just to hide something. But also at the same time, I think he wanted to talk to Dumbledore one more time. Absolutely. But it's a great scene that they yeah. have to have him It's such a great scene. It's a great dialogue. Yeah, for to have the adult Tom Riddle pre-Voldemort, Speaking with Dumbledore, it's really fascinating. He's like becoming Voldemort, but yeah. also to show how Dumbledore does not fear him at all, and exactly. he, and, and he calls him Tom. He calls him Tom. He knows of Voldemort. That, he knows that people have been calling him Voldemort, this new name. Great he calls point. him Tom. Some more flashbacks, I think, showing Petunia and Lily in their childhood and growing up with with Snape obviously, but also how Petunia was insanely jealous of Lily. That's why she hates her sister so much and that's why she hates Harry so much. Out of insane jealousy that she was not a witch as well. And she asked Dumbledore if she could come to Hogwarts in letters and She has uh some sort of rapport with dumbledore that she has keep kept hidden from her family yeah and dumbledore politely replied that she can't attend hogwarts and that's really what fueled her hatred for all wizarding kind so it's interesting to know that petunia actually exchanged letters with dumbledore something that she never told harry also a big misstep with the films is the two-way mirror is never explained and then in deathly Hallows part one we cut to Harry in his room, and he's just looking at a broken mirror, and yeah. there's an eye in it. Everyone's like—and I'm sure everyone who didn't read the books was like, what the fuck is this mirror with someone's face in it? So Sirius Black gave him one part of the mirror so that they could communicate. This happened in Half-Blood Prince. This is a the way they communicated um, during the books. And then after Sirius's death, Aberforth took the mirror, and then that's how Aber- Aberforth got the mirror— Why he has it, and that explains what the fucking mirror is in the first place. So they never put it in the books. um, I'm guessing because they didn't know how important it was, and was going to how big of a part it was going to play. Because it ends up being how how Dobby shows up at Malfoy Manor is because Harry tells the the face in the mirror, "We're at Malfoy Manor. Send help." Aberforth sends Dobby there. And the way that Sirius's mirror breaks is I believe it's after Sirius's death and Harry's just full of anger and he's throwing things into his trunk for packing and I believe he breaks the mirror. So yeah. it's a great irony that this great connection that they once had where they could see each other through these mirrors and communicate has now been shattered. Yeah, and that's why it's like a shard of glass instead yeah. of a full. That's a great point. They yeah. never bring that up at all. Never. Like just got this mirror. It's it something... just Deathly House Part One. He's in his room on his bed and he and he's in his chest. He... he takes out the mirror. it's like what is this next up we have peter Pettigrew's death which is really important and it's a great connection to how harry saves his life in prisoner of azkaban because obviously in the shrieking shack lupin and sirius are about to kill peter Pettigrew, but harry spares him because my dad wouldn't want his best mates to become murderers so he's like we'll give him to the mentors go through trial and everything he'll, he'll be processed by the law by the ministry of magic of course, Peter Pettigrew escapes, but in the books, Dumbledore hints that you know saving someone's life like that magically connects you forever. And I wouldn't be surprised if Peter Pettigrew doesn't regret that moment at some point in the future, because that's when later on in the the Malfoy's, Malfoy Manor, yeah. at Malfoy Manor in their basement, when they're trapped in there, Peter Pettigrew with his new s- silver glowing hand comes down there. He ends up. Inst- because they're, they're trying to escape right they' he's yeah, yeah. He's, they're trying to escape yeah. and peter Pettigrew goes to attack harry but instead his hand turns on him and starts to choke himself and so his hand ends up killing him yeah so this because harry spared his life this magical connection of basically karma or repayments was owed to harry and happened and led to peter Pettigrew's death love it it's so great another really cool thing that's never shown in the film is that the english prime minister actually knows about the wizarding world so every time a new prime minister is elected in the uk they are visited by the minister of magic who tells them hey there's a whole world of wizards living underneath your under underneath your noses you don't know anything about it but sometimes shit happens we'll keep you posted so the minister of magic (laughs) minister magic will visit the prime minister Every once in a while, when there's emergencies or important things to inform them of, Fudge has visited the English, this British Prime Minister to, to warn him about Sirius Black, a mass murderer who's on the loose, and then also eventually warns him about Voldemort. Uh, and it's a great opening scene for Half-Blood Prince. It's one of my favorite scenes in all of the books. And it shows that there is a, a connection between the Wizarding World and the Muggle World um, in the highest order in terms of the... The leaders of each country um, communicating with one another, and I love how the minister, the prime minister, views the minister of magic as like always bringing bad news and being really weird and dressed strangely, and he comes out of the fireplace. I love how in in the book. He's like in his office. He's like he's like that painting is moving again. He's like I, <laughs> yeah, thought, yeah, I yeah. thought this was all fake. I yeah. thought that I hallucinated that. When yeah. he's like a new prime minister, so he's like the guy before me told me about this. I'm like, what the hell is going on? And then the minister comes. He's like, this isn't real. This can't be real. Mm-hmm. And also Kingsley Shacklebolt is also his bodyguard. That's right. That's head right. of security. Yeah. So getting that in there as well. But also speaking of the Muggle world, world, I think that'd be great to show, you know, the the world around Vernon Dursley as he's like going to work. That like the first chapter. Where Vernon Dursley like is going to work, and he sees all these odd people in robes and cloaks, and they keep celebrating and cheering and <laughs> saying this name. And he swore he heard Harry's name. He swore he heard Harry. What was or James Potter? And he heard Harry Harry Potter's name. He's like, did, wait, what? What was that name? Did I hear Harry Potter or something like that? Or like, what was Harry's father's name? Was it James? Because like he heard that name, but seeing all these people in robes and cloaks around celebrating in oddly dressed attire, I think that would be fun. That's a great. That's a great sequence. That's true i love that one that's that would be a lot of fun to see next up we have uh another important one uh snape obviously is the half-blood prince but the reason why he took that pseudonym is because his father was a muggle i mean was of muggle born was of muggle descent i'm sorry his father was a wizard but uh, was of muggle descent and then his mother's maiden name was prince so that's why he called himself the half-blood prince when he was in school. That also reminds me, they never talk about in the movies how Voldemort's as a not he's a mud I mean he's a half-blood. Yeah. Voldemort's father was a muggle. They I never gonna, really talk about that. He I was I was going to put it on the list, but he does say uh, my filthy muggle father to Harry okay, in, yeah. in the uh, cemetery. You're right, you're right. But they but it's true, it's something that they never really addressed in a meaningful way how the irony of the character of someone who wants to Only proliferate pure bloods being a a half-blood himself. The irony of the character. He's such an ironic character. Ariana Dumbledore's backstory and what happened to her is something that they can definitely address, obviously, in Season 7 with Deathly Hallows, with the Dumbledore's uh, book written written by Rita Skeeter, The Life and Lies of Dumbledore, of Albus Dumbledore, going out and seeing what happened that night between Dumbledore and Aberforth, and ariana and how she got afflicted and eventually died yeah and ariana many people uh presume that she was um never able to she, she never had magical powers and what ended up happening was she was using her magic when she was young but then she was attacked by a group of muggle boys And then that's what caused her to really never be able to use or control her magic ever again. And their father, Percival, killing those boys and going to Azkaban. Exactly, yeah, So I think that's all a bunch of stuff that they can add in the show for sure. Oh, for sure. Another one that's pretty minor but I really enjoyed in the books that they didn't put in the film was that the Marauder's Map was actually created by the Marauders. It's not like they... I think in the movies, if you don't know the story, you might assume that they took the name Marauders because maybe they found the map that said Marauder's Map, but... They actually created the Marauders map. I think they explain it because Lupin says like they say who they are, and they all know who they are. And it's like, well, no, I'm saying, I'm saying it kind of implies that they found a map and took the name from the map, the map for their for their group. I never got that when I watched the films. I thought they explained it pretty well that they were the creators of the Marauders map. I don't think they explained it at all that they were the creators. Is what I'm saying. Well, it says Messes Mooney, yeah tail pad foot and prongs i guess present so, yeah. the Marauders' map i suppose so yeah. yeah i think they do i think it's fine You're but right. also it'd be cool to see how they do it this actually there's actually is an explanation but also more flashbacks to show how powerful of wizards they are not peter Pettigrew, obviously he's kind of just like he's he's a, he's a powerful he's wizard, okay but he's a runt compared to the other yeah. three especially sirius and james were the top wizards of their class so I think to show how intelligent and powerful they are to cr- be able to create that map because it took a lot of magic, as well as becoming an AMA guy, which is also incredibly hard to do. Because even Severus Snape can't um, reveal its secrets. Reveal your secrets. Basically, it's created by using... there's a quill at Hogwarts that writes down every child who's born as a wizard or witch, and their name gets logged, and so basically they use that quill They hack into it they the hack into the quill to use to find all the wizards and witches at hogwarts and locate them on the map so it's actually really cool magic there's some ghost stuff that we don't get to see in in the films really oh yeah nearly nearly headless nick's 500th death day which she begs harry to come to and then harry reluctantly goes and he's at the ghost party fun little chapter and then also Nick, Nearly Headless Nick, has a plot, a a whole storyline of, like, his desire to join the Headless Hunt. And it's hard for him to get in because he's not actually Headless. He's Nearly Headless. And there's that other ghost who's, like, the top dog. Yeah, yeah, the cool He, like, won't let them, won't let him in. He, like, bullies Nearly Headless Nick. Yeah. All right. uh, Oh, this is one that always irked me. So, in Order of the Phoenix, and obviously in Half-Blood Prince, Hermione and Ron are prefects. They become prefects in Order of the Phoenix because... Dumbledore thinks it's best to distance Harry from everybody because he doesn't want there to be a reason for Voldemort to penetrate his mind and to take control of him. So if he distances Harry from not only himself as well as from Hermione and Ron, he'll be less likely, he thinks, to dive into Harry's mind. And that's why Ron's so surprised that he was picked because <laughs> it's not like they you don't you don't like to apply to be a prefect. It comes in the mail with uh, so they get the prefect badges in the mail at weasley at the weasley house so then he gets bullied by fred and george exactly he's like (laughs) he didn't want to be a prefect (laughs) also ron has a a a pretty cool quidditch backstory in half-blood prince where at first he has no confidence all the slytherins are making fun of him um they they jokingly say that weasley is our king and that's like a joke a running gag the slytherins do they make signs and badges for it and they they wear it around school during normal school hours they just wear. Weasley is our king badge, just, like, making fun of him constantly. But then he slowly gets his confidence back and becomes a pretty good Quidditch player. Yeah, he's pretty solid when he's got his confidence, yeah. and Harry does the trick with the Felix Felicis. Mm-hmm. But also, I believe in Order of the Phoenix, Ron fills in as keeper towards the end of the season. And then, so he actually plays for the team in I, one he? of the previous book In one of the other books, he plays Quidditch mm-hmm. for, for Gryffindor because I think something happens to the keeper. Hmm. I can't remember. Pretty you are sure. not right. Pretty sure, but yeah, just more Quidditch in general. But yeah. More Ronus Quidditch, also more Lupin and Tonks. Their relationship it's kind of glossed over and just a little bit here and there, but they have, they have a complicated relationship and the actors are great, but we never really got the chemistry uh, of them being a couple. Yeah, they kind of just forced it. But also, yeah. Tonks is the one who finds Harry under the invisibility cloak on the Hogwarts Express and brings him. Yeah, yeah, you're She's right. She's the one who finds him because they have auras all over Hogwarts. Everyone's keeping an eye on Harry, and she sees that Harry does not get off the train, so it's not. Um, What's her name? F- Luna, who finds Harry with the Nargles in his brain, with the Nargle <laughs> glasses. Nargles. nargles! Your head's full of them. It's Tonks who discovers Harry on the train. Good point, good point. Enjoy your ride back to London. <laughs> Speaking of Lupin, uh, there's a great scene in Deathly Hallows where Lupin shows up at Grimmauld Place and asking the trio to join them on their journey of whatever Dumbledore set them out to do because he doesn't know exactly what they're doing. Um, he also he abandoned Tonks and their newborn son, and Harry goes off on him because uh, of Lupin abandoning his son, and it calls him like a coward and a terrible father. And they had a they have a terrible fight, and then Lupin storms out, and Harry feels really bad about it. But then when he reunites with Lupin later in the book, Lupin thanks him for uh, getting him to come to his senses as a father, put in his, put in his uh priorities in order yeah so I think that I think it was a really great scene because of the connection the two had for so long and to have that big fight it was very emotional St. Mungo's Hospital is uh, often talked about part of the books in order of the Phoenix the trio go to St. Mungo's they actually see um, Gilderoy Lockhart there who still has no memory of who he was <laughs> they, th- they say I was a teacher <laughs> but they all because they're visiting Arthur Weasley after he's been attacked by the snake so they're all going to see him, but they also see Neville and Neville Longbottom's parents. Grandparents, this, gran, his no, grandmother. His, no, his parents. No, they they, they speak to his grandmother. But his par- are his parents there? The, her, his parents are there. Oh. So maybe, they, I don't know if they, do they see Neville there? But his, his, the, Neville's parents are there. Mm-hmm. And this is where they learn, well, Harry already knew that his parents were in St. Mungo's because they have been driving and driven so, insane from yeah, yeah, the Crucio yeah. curse from yeah. Bell- Bellatrix Lestrange. But this was, I think, important. More characterization for Neville seeing his parents at St. Mungo's. They, I'm, I believe they see Neville there, but Harry doesn't tell them why. Maybe I can't remember. So, but it is Neville's grandmother who tells them the story about his parents. So but it's, Harry it's, knew it already. Yeah. So, so the grandmother uh, is reveals the story to them. Yes, is what happens that Harry had been told by Dumbledore. Yeah. Also, another fun little thing that's. Well, that, that, that's fun, but this is a fun one, is that <laughs> we learned that Filch is actually a squib. That's fun. And we learned that what squibs are, Harry obviously didn't know what a squib was, but it's also kind of tragic for Filch, and now you understand why he's always such a pain in the ass and always angry, because uh, a squib, as we all know, is a person who is born without magical powers um, from magical parents, and so it's kind of like an embarrassment in the culture, and probably like the the most embarrassing thing a, a, a person can be in wizarding society. It's like a lower class yeah, exactly. of exactly. It's very sad. And he even has that book that Harry sees. It's like the Magic for Dummies or something <laughs> like that. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Poor Mr. Filch. A fun one that I love in Deathly Hallows is the gnomes at the Weasley's house. Uh, getting ready for the wedding, and Harry's tasked with getting rid of all the gnomes in the yard. <laughs> it's really funny. An important part of... The Weasley twins, Fred and George, and their business, Wizard Wizard Weasleys and Weezes, whatever it's called. Yeah, that's it. You got it. Um, is Harry funds it? So after Harry wins the Triwizard Tournament, which he doesn't want to win, and he's forced to just take the money, he doesn't want anything to do with the money and the winnings, which is quite a bit. of so I think it's a hundred thousand galleons. I think. I don't know if it's that much. I think it might be. It's like ten thousand galleons. Maybe. Hundred thousand yeah. is a lot, and he doesn't want the he doesn't want the gold. He doesn't want the prize because of cedric's death he doesn't want like the blood money basically so he gives it to fred and george to start their business because something they can do in the books in the in the show as well as all the experimentation that the the twins are doing with their products for their joke shop going forward and obviously getting the funding from Harry, like having that in there and how he keeps it from Mister, Mrs. Weasley because if Mrs. Weasley found out she would kill Harry, but no, she never would. She loves Harry. <laughs> but also just in general, more Fred and George, all of their mischief, all their jokes, all their silliness, I yeah. think it needs. Thousand galleons. One thousand. Yeah, a thousand. Which sounds more unmanaged. A hundred right? thousand yeah. galleons is a lot of money. Yeah, that's a lot. I don't know what I was thinking. All Maniac. Right. Ano- speaking of Weasleys, another good one is the ghoul in the attic. <laughs> in Deathly Hallows, the way they get away is that they disguise the ghoul as harry no it's ron i'm sorry they disguised the the ghoul as ron so that when death eaters show up questioning asking why ron isn't at school they dressed him as ron gave him the hair and everything so that they think that the ghoul is actually a sick ron yeah it's a great gag i love it what else do we have more oh uh defenses against muggles seeing and stumbling upon wizarding castles or homes or cities or villages muggles you know, once the, once these charms and protecting spells are cast upon, like, Hogwarts or even, like, Hogsmeade or something like that, it deters muggles from going in because they'll see signs that say, like, danger, keep out, or they won't even see it at all. So, yeah. like, more explanation of, like, muggles, how they cannot interfere with the Wizarding World just because of magic. Yeah, and so for Hogwarts and specifically, um, if a muggle walked up to Hogwarts Castle, they instead would see uh, just plain countryside with ruins – so the ruins of a castle in a sign saying "danger, do not enter, unsafe." But also another one that they talk unsubscribed about unsubscribed from. Unsubscribed. Magic. Another one that I love is that um, platform nine three quarters was actually a platform built by muggles and then wizards basically stole it, enchanted it, <laughs> and made it disappear from the sight of muggles. And then all the people that like built the train station, they're like, "Are we missing something?" <laughs> they're like, they couldn't, they could never put their finger on something being gone. And it's because the Wizards basically took the platform that the Muggles built and used it for themselves. Something else that I would really love to see is Godric's Hollow. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. When they go back, when Hermione and Harry go to Godric's Hollow to find a clue, to find anything. A clue, a clue! They find Harry's destroyed home. And not only is it just destroyed, it's been destructed from the Avada Kedavra backfiring curse, and there's just a b- giant hole in it. But also, so many people have written signs and messages to Harry saying how much they love him and how they're rooting for him and fighting for him. And I think that would be a really special moment for Harry to see. I would have loved to see that in the movie. Yeah, that's a great moment. But there's so many things. I mean, so many. I'm sure y'all- We did, can, we covered a lot. It's that's, that's quite yeah, a bit, maybe. but I'm sure y'all can think of so many things as well. But I, I think that, you know, initially, I didn't want this but after talking about it, especially after doing this episode I'm I'm excited to see it I'll definitely watch it you know and I think they did a great job with Last of Us and if they stay true to the lore to the canon and just write a great story JK Rowling's involved with the show she's not going to be the show runner but I'm sure she'll be involved in the plots in the scripts in producing and if they get David Heyman to produce this show man it would be stellar so I really think there's a lot of potential to make a great show that showcases many of the things that we love about the books that aren't in the movies, as well as some things in the movies, just seeing it again or different ways. And I I think there's a lot of potential here. And like we said, there's nothing we can do about it. The remakes are going to happen. The studio's just going to remake everything, reboot everything every 10 years, even though it's only been 12 years. We just got, we just got to sit back and enjoy it for what it is. And it won't ever capture the magic that the films brought. It'll never do that in the castings. It won't be the same. But we love Harry Potter so much. It would have been cool to go to, like, do Hogwarts Legacy as a show or the Marauders as a show. But I think this is probably the easier route. And my hope for the show is that they stick to the books because there is so much, like, we just barely scratched the surface of what they didn't use in the films. And I, hope they just, I hope they don't add too much new stuff, new too many new things written by the new writers for the show. I just really hope they take the text and pull from that because there's more than enough to make all the shows and seasons you want. So I really hope that they stick to the original writing. Yeah, and I mean, HBO Max, they're making the best shows right now. They really are. Uh, Netflix has some solid ones, but I think HBO in general, between House of the Dragon, The Last of Us, They are just knocking out the big IPs. Yeah, but I mean the big IPs. It's like when when they're taking these big IPs, the Game of Thrones IP, Mm -hmm. the the video game Last Service IP, and they're making really great television shows out of it. And I think if they can do like 10 episodes, 12 episodes a season, and just put a ton of goddamn money into this and just do a really great job casting and just focusing on, on the really great filmmaking, it could be a really, really terrific show. Yeah, it has a lot of potential. And you're right. I have. Uh, I'm not so salty about it anymore. I'm, I'm not less so, salty. Yeah. I'm still a little salty because it's so soon. Yeah. But again, we just have to accept. We keep saying this. There's nothing yeah. we can do about it. Yeah. It's not. They're good. gonna. They're just gonna they're keep, gonna keep do doing this. It, yeah. And then guess what? In 2040, they're gonna do it again. But also, I mean, it is cool to think that you know there. I mean, younger generations aren't Harry Potter fans really, so it would be cool to see them, uh, a new generation, fall in love with the stories. I think they are, just not as much as when we were growing up, because there's like, everyone- I don't was, think they've read the books, really. so hot. Maybe not. I don't think the books have been read by many younger people. Because- maybe because it's become such a controversial IP. And also, it's a lot of reading to do. Yeah, but kids read, I mean- 800-page books? Sure, oh, man. No, that's a lot. We've read those like nothing. Yeah, but we didn't have social media. True, but I mean, it's, I think kids still read. Oh, they, they still read. Yeah, they still read. Didn't, if not, they watched the movies. Didn't know you could read. But yeah, I, I think th- I think the show has a lot going for it. But again, there are cons, you know, whereas a lot of people just don't want this. We didn't ask for it. A lot of people like, probably won't watch it just because, but maybe they'll tune in eventually yeah. if it's good. But it we'll is see. what it is. We'll see. Whoever gets cast as the, the trio, they're going to be so famous. very famous. I still don't get... Uh, the, the Marauders is a no-brainer for a show. Yeah. I mean, I that disappoints me. That's what they should have done. Yeah. Oh, well. But... This is easier. You don't have to make stuff up. Yeah. <laughs> it's already written for them. It's, it's written. already written. It, it should be, it should write itself, man. Yeah. It should, really should. But I think I think there's a lot of potential here for a great show. And I hope if we can get it by like 2025. That would be sick. I would say, I mean, if, they're, if they've announced it and they're going to start putting together a team, I think 2025 is definitely a possibility. And man, they got to they gotta get cracking soon, they got to figure out. A game plan for every season because they have to do. They're going to do seven seasons, starting in two years probably. That's a lot of planning. It's a lot. It's so a I'm lot. sure they're working their butts off right now, just figuring out the stories for each season. I hope it. I hope it turns out well. I hey Warner well. Brothers, let us know. Let us know, guys. We're, we're guys? We're, we're, we know quite a bit about Harry Potter. I mean, we have some great ideas in this episode. I know, and we did have great ideas. They're probably going to listen and be like, oh, "These guys, <laughs> it's good. It's a good idea. <laughs> Write that down. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. We'll see." Well, thank you, everybody, for tuning into our episode on the Harry Potter remake TV series going to HBO Max, hopefully, in the next couple of years. Hopefully, this episode made you accept the news a little better if you weren't very excited about it, because talking through it again, I'm, I'm on board. There's a lot of upside. I'm a lot of upside. I'm on board. There's a lot of upside. I wasn't on board for Indy 5 at first, but I got on board. Yeah. I wasn't on board for this immediately. There's some other things that I'm like, ah, but then, you know, F it. What are we? What am, I, what am I gonna do? What are you gonna do, man? Sign me up. Yeah, you're not running the studio. Sign me up. Yeah. Alora. At least we'll also they get a cast, a good composer. Oh, they yeah. gotta get, get a good, good composer. And I wonder, do they try to mimic the theme that yes. JP John Williams came up with, or come up with something new? <laughs> you gotta, you, you gotta, gotta, gotta throw that theme, theme in there. You gotta keep the theme. You gotta throw it in there. Something. You, gotta the you I don't you care. Gotta Sprinkle it in. If I was running this show, I'd be like, give me as much of the Harry Potter theme as possible. Yeah. As much of it as it's, possible. It's it's the um the nostalgia. I mean, this it says. It's, I mean, the the hard part. The Hedwig's theme is probably it could be the greatest theme written for, uh, a a film. I think it's up there. Yeah, it's, I think it's, it's the top just, five all time. How do you not? How do you not? Yeah, it's between that and Stuart Little, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> Peak cinema. Oh man. Anyways. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Thanks for tuning in. Become a patron today at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost Podcast. Every single patron gets access to a weekly bonus episode of the show, as well as the weekly chat, which exclusively moved to Patreon last month. All new weekly chat episodes only post there, so patrons all get to access it. We have a $2, which is the minimum sign-up fee, $5, $10, $25, and $100 tier Patronage accounts that you can sign up for. That $10 tier gets you access to our Discord. We built an incredible community on there. There's like over 120 people on there. We're always chatting. We have our watch parties on there a couple times a month. Super fun. As well as that $25 tier gets you access to a custom episode. You pick the topic, and we'll do a whole episode just for you on that topic. And then going up to that $100 tier, you also get an EP executive producer shout-out at the end of main episodes. You get a private watch party, and after three months in that tier, you can come on the show for a fun guest segment. We toss you in at the intermission, and we chat about whatever the topic is all these perks also come – all these tiers come with other perks as well. Some of them come with free merchandise, free stickers. We're always trying to bring new content and awesome perks to our patrons. We appreciate you all so much. You Keep the lights on for the show. So thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Thanks, everyone. See you next time. This episode was executive produced by our Chosen One patrons, Cody Moen, Andrew Hagen, Becca Keen, Benjamin Cook, Calvin Murphy Griggs, Nicholas Martin, Darian Singleton, Tyler McFly, Andrew Hagan. Our Chosen One patrons are our biggest supporters. Thank you so much. Raiders of the Lost podcast is a Mirror Image production. Sound mixing done by Jacob Kosler. Opening music by Chase Jackson.